Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in. I am the ESOP guy, and let's continue on this journey to an ESOP. Now, if you're just tuning in, this podcast is for those people that are thinking they might want to transition their business to an ESOP. And that might be for a growth strategy, a succession strategy, or maybe even an exit plan for the owner. If you are interested in the podcast, there are other episodes available. So if you go to journeytoanesop.com, you can find all of the available podcasts. But today, I am excited to have the privilege of interviewing Tampa-based business valuation expert, Will Rodriguez with Vision Point Capital, Inc. Will has been practicing for over 20 years. Early on in his career where he worked for national and regional CPA firms, he did a lot of work with valuations and consulting engagements for business owners and really started working you know, his experience level. And with 14 years of experience on ESOPs, he started his own practice, um, which is a company called Vision Point Capital, in 2015. This uh, firm basically covers the nation with um, ESOP clients. They perform annual valuations as well as ongoing ESOP transaction work. Will, thanks for joining us today. Phil, thanks for having me on and definitely uh, appreciate the introduction and in the invite to discuss, you know, something that's very near and dear to my heart as we, uh, you know, work, worked with many clients over the years and definitely enjoy the, the opportunity in uh, exploring an ESOP transition as part of their, their overall exit strategy. And that's, and that's one really nice thing with uh, Will and I, we both agree we're, we're both passionate about ESOPs and what they do, not only for the business owner and the transition process of selling their business, but also for the employees themselves. So we also do both do valuation work. So we're both valuators and on kind of different sides of the transaction. And so I wanted to start with really where, where you're working towards supporting the, the trustee. What is your process, Will, in going through that process or that part of what you, the role you play? Sure. So, yes, if I'm performing the valuation uh, for the ESOP transaction, then as you mentioned, the trustee, that, that is my client. So even if I'm referred by another CPA such as yourself or you know, other advisors. Uh, it, 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 truly, any and all work that I'm doing as part of the process is for the trustee. I'm acting as the independent financial advisor, and you know, essentially my valuation will be used to support, to help the trustee support negotiation during the transaction. The majority of the, the rest of the valuation pro- process is similar for an ESOP versus non-ESOP uh, transaction. So again, we would you know do all the basic things that, such as information gathering, do our preliminary financial analysis. Then you know usually we'll uh, be able to prepare for our site visit management interviews that we'll conduct on site. You know as appropriate and available, we'll be looking for you know benchmarking industry research, uh, guideline comp- comps whether that's public companies um, that we can benchmark or you know private transactions of companies that sold recently in the company's industry. Um, and, and again, we're going to finalize our financial analysis, um, you know, with, with using any and all appropriate methods. And then, you know, at the end, we're going to prepare a draft valuation, a report, and send to the trustee. So, and then the trustee and his or her team will have a chance to review, you know, the, the draft valuation report. And from that point, you know, they'll be able to ask questions, you know, request more information, you know, be able to truly understand, because my job is to, you know, educate the trustee on, you know, my findings and, you know, 
three or maybe they feel one method is more appropriate and more comfortable one method. So again, it's, it, you know, the trustee does have a range of value that, um, when considering, you know, in the offer negotiation. Um, and then, of course, when we get to the, you know, making any of those necessary changes uh, from the trustee feedback, we'll prepare the final valuation report. And then, of course, we continue to assist throughout the rest of the transaction process. And if needed, depending on the size, depending if it's a controlling interest or not, we may or may not be asked to prepare a fairness opinion for the transaction. Very interesting. Yeah. I think, too, that the this thing to stress is the role the trustee plays on the buy side is a, a critical role. And, you know, he or she is really relying on the valuation firm to provide a good overview. But they're the ones that make the decision at the end of the day in terms of what that uh, purchase price is going to be. So the role, the role you play there is very important. And, and I would also add to what you said, too, because it it it's so important from a fiduciary standpoint to have the independence of a transaction. And so, you know, if I look at the different roles that we play is my role is to really educate the client before they get into the, the, uh, the actual transaction. And so that they're really under understanding what first off valuation is and then understanding that as a, as a seller of their stock, they have to feel comfortable with what they're, what they're selling it for. Um, but that supports this this place of independence that Department of Labor really stresses for a transaction. Yeah, and one, one other point to note, and, and typically, you know, you get a hang-up is, again, my valuation goes to the trustee, and it doesn't get shared with the other side. So, again, the company that's paying for it doesn't really get to see it. Uh, so, that's, you know, sometimes that's uh, an education process, but just to kind of keep that line in the sand that, Again, I'm working for the trustee. It's an arm's length negotiation between the trustee and the selling shareholders. So again, you would be on the seller shareholder side, and I would be on the buyer side, which is you know, the ESOP of the trustee. That's a great point. Well, and and I don't want to labor it too, but but I, I've had clients say, you know, well, do we ever get to see it? And and they never do get to see the valuation, um, at least the initial one that you do. And Correct. So so moving on, um, and I I have to talk about this only because it's you know so pertinent to what's happening in the economy um, and what we're seeing in the marketplace with COVID-19. And I really have two a twofold question. First, you know, companies that were in the process of converting their business to an ESOP. So nobody expected COVID to be like it is in certainly in February of, of this year. Um, things changed quickly. And the second part of the question is with existing co- ESOP companies working through the crisis and how, how are both of those uh, dealing with this, uh, you know, not just the economic downturn, but I think in general, what, what are you seeing in, in your clients and transactions? Yeah, definitely this COVID-19 um, pandemic has really hit the, the pause button, I would say, on most current deals. And uh, not that it killed them completely, but um, again, on the few deals I had kind of in the pipeline, you know, it's kind of, well, let's wait and see to you know, the mid-half of the year and see if things pick up. Because again, the, the biggest item obviously affected is valuation. So again, to remember that valuation is always forward looking. So if we're, you know, we're looking in December at December 31st, 2020 to be, you know, guns, guns are blazing, go ahead, a lot of growth um, potential. And so valuations were, were, you know, reached an all time high. Um, Whereas now, you know, come, come mid-March, you know, later, even a little bit earlier, right, the, the world has changed. So, again, the outlook has changed. And, of course, we see that in the equity markets, that that risk has been priced in, that change in, in the status quo. So, again, that, that would 
obviously would lead to change in, you know, the ESOP valuations that we are doing um, because, again, they're all tied up back to the fundamental investments and, and cash flow that we're projecting. But, you know, hopefully, again, hopefully we'll, this will be a short-term recovery, um, but I, I think it really depends on the the company industry. Some will be faster turnaround than others. And, again, whether or not it, it may take a little longer for them to get back to, you know, the valuation levels that they were prior to this this pandemic. Now, for companies that are already ESOPs, right, they're having to navigate um, the, the challenges and really look into their crystal ball a little more. Uh, so, again, a lot of them have layoffs or at least reduced hours to employees. And, you know, fortunately, we've had some stimulus. Um, recent rounds of stimulus that's really provided some much-needed working capital, but still, how long? Uh, how long will this, you know, kind of short-term, or will it be kind of the new norm, be in place to to determine whether you know to bring all their employees back, or you know, again, if their their suppliers go out of business, or you know, the customers go out of business, the significant impact that can have on uh, you know on the evaluation of the company, and as you think about kind of what what triggers right valuation, you know, in the employee statements, you know, at that point in time. So if we're doing a December thirty first valuation, now, you know, we, we have to lay off one third of the workforce. Now we've just kind of accelerated that repurchase obligation that's kind of you know comes with with the ESOP you have to kind of be prepared for. So again it just you know a lot of factors, a lot of moving parts to consider and again just trying to to be on the phone, be you know, uh, in touch with, with the clients and, and navigate this this um, time period with them. Yeah, no, I think that's that's great advice because it's it's definitely something that a lot of. I mean, I've been around for thirty years and nobody's seen anything like this. We've seen economic recessions, but it's to see this much shutdown that quickly. My my thing I would add to what you said is really to looking at the industry specific. Um, Effects. So some industries have been really affected more than other industries. And what I'd also say is that, you know, looking at, like you said, the forward looking concept of valuation, which comes back to your forecast, that, you know, it's really difficult, you know, in a, in a normal market to, to have a forecast where like, all right, that's, you know, we feel really super good about it. But now when we're, you know, Will, when you're faced with forecast, a new forecast that you just got, how do you get comfortable with that? in the process of supporting a trustee in, in a may say a transaction that's still going on. Yeah, definitely. Whose crystal ball is better, right? Uh, the, yeah. you know, the essence is truly it comes back to, do we have an established history uh, pattern that we can track? That'd be, you know, kind of key. For example, you know, some companies just don't prepare forecasts. They just don't have, have the depth of management, have the insight to their business. And that's, you know, usually problematic versus, you know, some companies, again, they give me pretty strong, uh, detailed projections every year. And, you know, again, we check every year. So how do we compare it to what you projected last year? Well, we're pretty close or maybe they were conservative and we, you know, we exceed expectations. So depending on the client, you know, I'll, I'll say trust more, but rely more on the projections, um, depending on the client and their, his, their track record of, of meeting those projections. And of course, as best we can, you know, to, to look to the industry, to look to, you know, everything that the best information we have available to really see, you know, get comfortable with, you know, how long, you know, what, um, what's the overall impact this will have, you know, not only short term, but long term. So. 
Great. Yeah, I think that's that's going to be a, a point we're going to come back to as well. But in looking at the business valuations that you do, you have you, can you address the significance of the different dates? So the valuation date versus the report date versus the transaction date, and also really the concept of known or knowable standards within the business valuation. Yeah. So this is. Um, gotten more uh, more headline uh, headlines these days than than it ever has before. So we'll just we'll just keep it you know simple and simple example for now. So of course the valuation date is the date of the valuation that this the underlying asset, i.e. the ESOP stock, is being valued. And as an appraiser, I can I can account for everything as of that time that is known or knowable. And we'll get a little more into that here in a little bit. Of course, the report date is just like it sounds, the date that the report is com- completed and submitted to the, the client, the trustee, whoever. And then the transaction date, again, is just like it sounds, is the date of the actual transaction. So in a simple example, let's say we, you know, shareholders of ABC company wanted to do a 30% sell of stock to its newly formed ESOP. As the appraiser, I got the 2019 financials by February 15th. We worked very aggressively to finish our valuation by March 31st that we presented to the trustee. The trustee then uses that valuation to negotiate with the shareholders. An agreement is reached by April 30th, 2020, and then, you know, attorneys have to do their thing. They get involved and get all the uh, documents ready for a closing set for May 31st. So now we now we have this five-month lag between the valuation date, which is December 31st, and the transaction date, you know, May 31st. And in a typical situation, the trustee you know, would generally require maybe not a full valuation update, but a drop-down letter to satisfy, you know, to make sure the value is still within the you know, IRS or Department of Labor's required adequate consideration guideline. So as an appraiser, I would you know, get additional information from the, the companies, such as interim financials, I'll be looking at, you know, kind of year-to-date, are they on track with the projections that we used in the original report? I'll have additional management interviews to make sure there's no significant changes to the company or industry between the two time periods. And then generally you would issue the, the drop-down letter assuming the same valuation as as you had, you know, the December 31st valuation had. So in the past 20 years, this would have, have been the, the typical process to set for you know, I come up with three points in time, which would be uh, the dot-com bubble in 2001, the Great Recession of 2008, and then, of course, most recently, this COVID-19 pandemic. So this is where, you know, the known or knowable standard comes into play. As of December 31st, this pandemic uh, wasn't, you know, technically known or knowable, you know, to the U.S. economy. It didn't really happen until, you know, like I said, say, late February, early March. So, again, if I finish my, my evaluation report by March 31st, you know, and come May 31st, there's no way we could look at the, the marketplace and say nothing has significantly changed when kind of the world has changed. I mean, th- things that just went, went on shutdown, unprecedented. So this is where you would, you would have to most likely do an interim valuation, so say a May 31st uh, 2020 valuation. Um, to be able to include the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has and, you know, the trustee be able to negotiate at a true fair market value or adequate consideration that's required. Mm. Yeah. So that's, so you kind of walk that, you walk through that really, I think very clearly and it, 
and it does present some issues. And I, and I think for, from my experience too, whether, whether we had these great economic changes or not, there's still always this lag that's created between the date of when you do your valuation date at 123119. Um, and just so, so one thing that I do with clients on our sell side is we build at the very front end, we're building a valuation model that educates the client on the particulars. And so assuming the, you know, something changed with the forecast and we are producing different interim results, we're automatically updating that with the client so they can see the effect on that. And I think the, the better the client understands the, 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 I guess the elements or how valuations put together, the better they can understand what you're coming back with, even though they can't see what you have, they're really seeing it really through the negotiations from the trustee. Um, but I find that really helps because it's confusing. And I, and I think too, in our industry, um, the valuation sometimes is handled on the front end differently. And I, sometimes it's, Hey, you're, your multiple is say three times or four times. And they kind of know what that means, but they really don't know why. And I think really having a model to support the the conversations that you have with the trustee and the, well, really the negotiations helps to update these changes that are, that can happen even in a, on, even in a normal marketplace where some things dip down. Yep. And uh, it could go the other way too. Again, maybe there was a significant contract that was won between the, the date of the valuation and, you know, current. So, you know, if they've just been awarded a $10 million contract that, again, the valuation would most likely go up if we, if you did an interim valuation. So that would be something, you know, a positive trend why you would want to do an interim valuation. But yeah, absolutely. again, it's, it definitely is, it's facts or circumstances. And again, given the companies, um, you know, where they're at. And again, like I said, I know the triple, the triple P loan, the stimulus, has really given uh, some clients, um, you know, that needed working capital to be able to say, okay, at least we can we can breathe for now. We mm-hmm. got a couple months, and then hopefully things will turn around, and we'll be able to come out this the other side uh, with as minimal impact as as possible. So, so we kind of talked a little bit about the interim valuations, and again, this is this podcast is probably more for people that aren't yet in an ESOP. But at the same time, you're you're kind of saying that you would do those interim valuations to support the lag period with an economic downturn. So so somebody could get a valuation and you're going to have to do another one maybe prior to a transaction date. Is that kind of what you're saying? Depending if, if things have significantly changed, you know, the assumptions used in, in the original valuation, then yes, we, 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 you don't want to do that. Obviously, fees, there's fees involved to update any valuation as a point in time. Everything has to be updated as of that uh, point in time. So um, as much as, as possible, we try to avoid that, but... When, when it's necessary, we have to do it. So on the interim valuation side, can you just kind of walk through what you feel like the key issues are with that specifically? Yeah. So for example, if we're you know looking at interim valuations, you know, right now, again, as, as I mentioned before, kind of what's, what's the crystal ball. Um, and I wouldn't even say we would, you know, we wouldn't just say, here's what it's going to be. Right? Who really can, could know that? What I'd say is probably best is we would perform some type of scenario analysis where we're going to say, okay, if, if things rebound in, in six months, here's what, you know, business will most likely look at versus if it takes, you know, one year, here's another scenario. And then if it takes two years, here's, uh, here's you know, that scenario and what evaluation impact that would have. So, yeah, trying to, again, really say we we get these projections right all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, it's, it's what's best reasonably known and, you know, again, supportable as of that, that valuation date. Great. Yeah, I think that's good. So and we're um, I'm, I'm going to 
kind of wrap up with one last question. And, and one of the things I want, was thinking of, because we want to talk about deal structure a little bit more specifically with like warrants and SARS, but l- let's save that for another time. Um, but just kind of in general, I think if, you know, again, we're not in a, forget the, 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 the issue that we have with COVID, just thinking about a normal market. What are some pitfalls that you see um, or problem areas that you see going into a deal that would make someone hesitate or think uh, think twice about an ESOP? For sure. Well, and this doesn't necessarily just apply to ESOPs, but, you know, really, you know, small companies, I mean, you'll hear, you know, small companies are worth small values. And typically that's for a reason. Um, A lot of smaller companies, the quality of the financial information is lacking. Um, again, not just, oh, well, the, my CPA prepares my tax returns versus do you at least get compiled financials versus the stepped up, you know, reviewed financials versus audited financials. So when, when as an appraiser, when I see audited financials or, you know, even reviewed or satisfactory, still, it, it you know, gives me a lot more comfort in relying on those numbers versus, again, just somebody's tax returns that may or may not, you know, truly reflect the, the operations of the business because generally a tax return is prepared to, you know, minimize the payment of taxes. So is it truly reflective? And then when you get into, you know, all the addbacks, the adjustments with owners, you know, perks, and if there's significant amounts of those running through, then, you know, it's really, you know, gives you, gives you caution to, uh, as you're working through the numbers. Um, lack of management depth. Again, this could be a function, again, if you're small, you really can't hire that C-suite of executives that you, you know, really want. But, you know, for those companies that have a strong organization chart, you know, where the, the CEO, you know, where the own primary owners, the CEO, the CFO, and the, the admin, you know, those are those are problematic. And, um, again, maybe they just haven't invested, but, you know, during the years to save on save some cash, but, you know, it may end up costing them on the, the back end because, again, a, a good executive will, you know, be worth their weight in gold and it'll help with the transition in the value of the business on, on the back end. They're going to bring skill sets that um, the, the owner and, you know, kind of the entrepreneur may be good in one area, but, again, they can't be great in, in all the areas. So, uh, you know, that's what it, where I see, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, with the smaller businesses and not just ESOPs or, you know, specifically. Um, so, again, that, those are all the risks when it comes to, you know, valuation that we account for, we account for the upside, we account for the, the growth, the uh, cash flow, expectation, product services, all of that. But we also have to look at balance that with the risk of the business. And, you know, that's where we do the deep dive and, um, in our analysis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, all of those are going to be important and, and, you know, really for, for those that are listening is really get into those much deeper at the front end before you even get to the trustee stage. And I think that's a really essential part. And, and, you know, Will mentioned several things. I've seen issues as well with uh, customer concentration and, and where there's risks that you as a buy, as an owner of a business don't really look at because you're, you're so used to making money at it. But when you start looking at it from a buyer's perspective, um, they're not thinking the same things you're thinking only because they haven't lived the life that you've lived and they're not there really for the same, um, you know, the same initial goal. Their, their goal is to protect the, uh, the ESOP, protect the employees, um, make sure that they bought it at a fair market value. And so there really are two things. And I, and I think educating a business owner is, is, you know, really important at the front end to understand you might not see this as a business risk, but it is to uh, to the trustee and to the valuator that's going to come into it. 
frustration is probably number one we see with smaller businesses. They just um, not that you don't want that that customer. You just want to build around it or minimize the risk as much as you can through some contractual relationships uh, agreements or, or or the like. Yeah, and I think that really does like when you identify that with a client early on in the process that I go through, you're able to build a like almost a strategic plan, a business plan around mitigating risk, you know, at the front end. And I think when you've done that, and then you create a forecast and then you kind of pull it all together and say, you know, this is our business plan. We identified some weak areas. We're addressing them here. We've actually addressed the cost of the business plan in the forecast. I think that flow works well because the forecast tells the story of the business plan. And, um, and it might not always be to mitigate risk. I mean, sometimes I, obviously a business owner wants, a business wants to capitalize on an opportunity, but certainly there's areas there that you can work into your plan and make sure you're, you know, you're as a business owner, um, educating your advisors and, you know, how that should flow. And I think that's the value of this, of this episode of podcast is really understand how like Will's looking at it and where, what is going, what he's going to be presented with before you even get there. I think that's really important. Yeah, so if you definitely, you know, business owners listening, if you if you have a couple of years before you say I would implement, just go ahead and start start with a strategic plan or preparing projections for the next year. Maybe it's something you've never done, but it'll be a good good exercise. Plus, you know, come come next year we we'll get get to the end and see how you did, and you know, come down the road when the ESOP trustee and the evaluation is looking at your projections, and. You know, we can have a track record, as I mentioned before. Hey, I've, I've hit my projections throughout the last four years. You know, here they were, and, and here's the same underlying assumptions that go into this projections and why they're not overzealous or out of out of bounds kind of in, in looking at the valuation today. I think that's awesome advice. Well, we are out of time, unfortunately, and there's other things to talk about, but I really want to say thank you, Will, for your time today and your insight from a valuation perspective and, of course, your experience with ESOP valuations. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Look forward to it. Great. So if you're interested, check out uh, Will's company at visionpointcapital.com. And as we close out, I just want to remind you, um, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend. It's a resource for for anybody that's thinking about going through an ESOP. And have a great day. We look forward to our next episode. Thanks. Mm -hmm.